It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition, and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is Time Enough Podcast. Welcome to Time Enough Podcast. As always, this is Matt here. Returning back is Mike Richards from the Mission Log Orville Podcast. Howdy. Howdy. How are you, sir? Pretty good. Pretty cold. I got my space heater, so that's good. Um, it's, not- uh, it's, it's been 11 months since I left Ohio, so this warm desert air feels good to me. Yeah, not not like Death Valley. And uh, sorry, I'm looking at the order. Okay, you'll be hearing me talking more about Death Valley next week. But basically, I say, as we're going to see in today's episode, um, I feel like Death Valley is a very comfortable place because the only time I've been there it was like January 2nd, 3rd. So <laughs> it's like, hey, it's nice here. Yeah, <laughs> nice, dark landscapes. The temperature's perfect, which you don't really think about with, uh, with a place like Death Valley. <laughs> Have you have you hung out have you hung out in the the valley the the hot valley? I I have not. When I was a kid, we did this cross country camping trip. Uh, we actually did two of them, but one of them we loaded up the uh, uh, the Pontiac Executive Safari station wagon, nineteen sixty nine vintage. And when it came time to drive uh, across the desert, we did that at night. Kind of, we made that an all nighter to take advantage of the cooler temperatures, so that. Uh, big Pontiac 400 engine wouldn't overheat loaded up with seven people and a month's worth of supplies. I think I got a word about or two about that traveling at night next week as well, but that's next week. This week, another desert episode is a hundred yards over the rim. I don't know why this crew kept punishing themselves by going into, into the Valley, but that's, I guess how they rolled. So <laughs> I'll dish out a touch of the trivia here. The original air date was April 7th, 1961. Script is a Serling and Buzz Kulik directed. As we've noted before, Kulik's main claim to fame is directing several episodes of The Twilight Zone. Christian Horn is played by Cliff Robertson. Sure, he won an Oscar for the film Charlie and played JFK in the movie PT-109. But he's always going to be the Uncle Ben to our Peter Parkers since he took on that role in the first Raimi Spider-Man film. Dying quickly as Uncle Ben does, but hey. (laughs) (laughs) It's just something you got to do when you're Uncle Ben. You know what you're getting in for when you you, uh, take that role. Uh, Quick, quick aside. Have you seen the movie um, Hollywood Shuffle directed by Robert Townsend? Is that the one with the uh, um, Richard Pryor? No, he's not in that. This is lower budget. Um, okay, it was I Robert Townsend starting out his career, but it's it's him like kind of semi autobiographically um, talking about being a young black actor in Hollywood. And there's a scene where he goes and talks to the kind of Eddie Murphy style sitcom star. He's like, mm-hmm. "How do you know if a script is good or not?" Because he thinks maybe the script he's about to take on is like kind of racist. Right. And um, the guy says. Does your character die in the script? He's like, uh, no, then it is a good script. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, they didn't ask that to Cliff Robertson, clearly, for Uncle Ben. But may- maybe for this episode they did. He makes it through this episode. Spoiler alert for something you probably should have watched if you're listening. <laughs> John Crawford with Gas Station Joe and his other work around this time point us to some Gunsmoke episodes in the 1970s. He'd get his face on film alongside Gene Hackman in 1975's Night Moves and Clint Eastwood in the following years, The Enforcer. And yes, that is one of the Dirty Harry sequels. And I can also point out, if you don't mind, some Star Trek. Uh, oh, yeah, Star sure. Trek appearance as well on Galileo 7. He was the MacGuffin that uh, was causing Kirk to have to abandon the search for Spock at all um, to do some other thing. Uh, on the bridge being kind of the uh, the douchey um, 
you know, delegate from the Federation. Um, and that was his role, played by John Crawford. Oh, yeah, he's like Commissioner the, um, Ferris. Commissioner, okay, I was thinking he was an ambassador, but it's, it's, it's admirals and, and ambassadors in Star Trek you can't trust, right? Correct. 100% <laughs> correct. Oh, sorry, my screens just flipped because that last podcast did just finish. Okay, sorry. That's neither here nor there. <laughs> Mary Lou is played by... Uh, Evans Evans. That's right. <laughs> she did the a name of, so nice. She got it twice. Yeah. <laughs> she did a bit of Alfred Hitchcock television, played Velma Davis and Bonnie and Clyde, and was married to director John Frankenheimer from 1963 until his passing in, I think, 2002 or 2003. I didn't actually write that date. John Astin's role as Charlie may be a bit on the small side here, but he'd secure his place in the pop culture zeitgeist a few years later as Gomez Adams on the Adams family. And I, I just came across this when we were doing, when we were covering the episode blood of Patriots on um, guest starring Mackenzie Aston, who uh, played the, uh, the main guest star on that show. That is a, a son of John Aston as is Sean Aston, aka the Fat Hobbit and Rudy, and uh, so many other roles that we've seen him in Fifty First Dates, uh, the steroid taking bodybuilder. So yeah, John Aust- John Aston actually has quite a few offspring as well uh, in the industry. Acting family, yeah. <laughs> Mike, I'm going to throw the prologue on the board for you. So if you could give us a read. The year is 1847. The place is the territory of New Mexico. The people are a tiny handful of men and women with a dream. Eleven months ago, they started from Ohio and headed west. Someone told them about a place called California, about a warm sun and a blue sky, about rich land and fresh air. And at this moment, almost a year later, they've seen nothing but cold, heat, exhaustion, hunger, and sickness. This man's name is Christian Horn. He's a, he has a dying eight-year-old son and a heartsick wife, and he's the only one remaining who has even a fragment of the dream left. Mr. Chris Horn was going over the top of a rim to look for water and sustenance, and in a moment will move into the twilight zone. All right. I guess we should start a little bit with the premise and how you think it plays out here. The Twilight Zone very clearly has a few episodes with a time machine and then a lot of episodes with just unexplained weird time travel. Um, I I guess the last episode you were on, the the Odyssey of Flight 33, is kind of somewhere in between because they kind of have an explanation, but not really. And here it's just weird. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, there, I think it was, you know, the dawn of, you know, jet transportation and high speeds, high altitude, jet stream, uh, breaking things like the time barrier uh, may have been, you know, uh, sort of, you know, in people's imagination at the time. So I guess the the Boeing 707 itself may have been the time machine. This one was just um, this one seemed like it was just sort of the universe uh wanting to bring this guy forward in time 114 years for for whatever reason matt uh mm-hmm. we don't know until we get into the plot but for whatever reason uh he was he was brought forward in time 114 years yeah right i mean that there's the you know from 2022 you just hold up the card that says quantum on it right oh okay <laughs> sure that everything's possible now so <laughs> and they would just say is it possible those high tension wires caused a quantum field around this paved road yes yes matt that's possible they would i feel like a modern (laughs) show would feel the need to make that explanation though you couldn't just have he just bops into the past which yeah is an interesting cultural thing because you i I guess mark twain is you know uh, his time travel was basically just like walk around a corner being in the past right and in Mm -hmm. the early 60s that was still kind of fine so yeah, now now you can't really do that. Yeah, I think so. I think I think you're right. I think you need the quantum explanation now. Um totally. 
Yeah, but uh, this one, this one, not so much. Just you know, you go a hundred yards, cross the rim, and uh, there you are. Nineteen sixty-one. Uh, Boom. Yeah, I'm just as the modern viewer, is that is that annoying? Because I feel like when I started doing the Twilight Zone, like re real focus, and the first time travel one is is walking distance, and like, we just walked over there. Now it's the past. That's kind of weird. So now I've seen it yeah. like five times. And I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. That's what Twilight Zone does. It's fine. <laughs> it does. I, I think I think it's I think it is fine. I really, really do. Um, I don't need an explanation. I didn't need it. I don't need everything uh, to be explained uh, to me. It's something, um, you know, my son and I were talking about with with others, members of the family, uh, not about this, but I think it was about um uh, a different film can't put the, my finger on it right now, but at the end of it, you know, questions came up from, uh, from others. He goes, you know, I just don't need to have everything explained to me. And I was like, good for you, kid. Good for you. Yeah. A little bit of an abstract brush. I, I, I appreciate. So that's pretty good. Um, the other one, I think this is very specific people of my vintage. Uh, the first thing we think is, that this boy is going to die of dysentery because we had been playing the Oregon Trail on the Apple II computers in the elementary <laughs> school libraries, which I spent a lot of time with that. So that was like, even now, like thinking about this sort of thing, that is kind of like my main point of reference. I'll immediately flash back to like, you know, green screen uh, right. Oregon Trail. <laughs> Yeah, so dysentery, um, cholera, I think was a big one. Yeah, that was a big you know, one. Any any kind of um, you know, any sort of uh, you know, mixing, you know, gray water and dirty water and and clean water, which was which was tough to to keep sorted out, I guess, at that point. Um, as well as I think malaria and definitely in that part of the country was probably not a big deal. That was definitely more, you know. I don't know that the, there's not a lot of mosquitoes in the desert. That's more human. No, Central America is definitely going to get you. Yeah. yeah. I, maybe once you start getting to the coast, I, I, mm -hmm. there, there's some Mediterranean climate up there, which might, you know, have, uh, there's definitely some gnarly bugs. I'm not sure it's just uh, yeah. yellow fever. Yellow fever. Isn't that one? That was, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is, is that one? I yeah, think, yeah. Um, I definitely think it is. Um, but man, I really liked the look of the, of the settlers of the, of the frontier folks. Um, and that came directly from Cliff Robertson. He was, uh, did some research for the part, um, made about nine pages of background for his character that he gave to the director. And he said, look, folks that were doing this weren't dressed like cowboys. They left Ohio. They left New York. They left Pennsylvania with the clothes on their back, you know, and he was wearing, he had a top hat and tails. Because that's he had an amazing hat. He did. The hat the hat was awesome, but it was but it was a formal hat, you know, and he he wore it because he needed it for protection from the sun. And it was all he had. Um, so it was an, an interesting choice that that's what they wore. But he was wearing that that, you know, kind of formal wear um, because whatever happened that made them leave Ohio. That's what they had to wear and they couldn't afford to buy, you know, a cowboy hat and chaps and spurs and boots and you know all the other stuff that you, you know that you know modern modern day cow cow folk get when they're uh you know going out to line dance on saturday night well i i just started reading a book i'm only maybe three or four chapters in which is um cattle kingdom i believe is the name and mm -hmm. that's mostly talking about driving all of the longhorn out of texas um so, but those guys would get outfitted. You get hired by the ranch. They'd give you yeah. a few basics and a ho horse. I think it said every like proper cowboy needed like seven horses or something. It was Holy crazy. cow. Yeah. Didn't Garth Brooks play on album called that? I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah. But even with that, these guys just kept sustaining just like the most like brutal, nasty injuries. You know, losing an arm was barely a thing. It's mm -hmm. just like you know, wild stuff. So these guys are like even less outfitted in, in the middle of the desert now. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, they were literally like putting, you know, you know, taking their life into their, you know, hands to, to make this journey and, and start completely over. Um, you know, the other thing that was interesting 
I thought was, and if you've seen Cliff Robertson and other things, and he's kind of been a favorite of mine for, for decades. Um, he first came onto my radar. He played a part in a film called the pilot where he played an airline pilot. He was, you know, hiding his alcoholism. And, um, you know, that was, that was a really good film. Came out in about 1980, if I remember right. Um, and before that he was in a film with Jane Fonda, uh, called a Sunday in New York where he's a TWA pilot and his sister comes to visit him. Um, and she gets, uh, courted by, by several people, including Rod Taylor. So it's just a, just a, a kind of a fun, you know, very early sixties, um, uh, very much of the time, uh, period, very early in Jane Fonda's career. So, um, I really, really like Cliff Robertson, but he had a kind of a very mild, Irish accent in this. And that was his idea too. He, in his background story, he thought he would be like maybe second generation Irish. So he had just sort of a very minor, very mild Irish brogue that he, that he carried through his acting. And I thought that was, I thought that was pretty neat also. Like I think his prep did pay through um, because the first time watching this, I really was like, this really does seem like a guy who's just, gotten you know like weirdly unstuck from time and a lot of time travel people go to the new time period and you know kind of just start playing the game as soon as they get there where this guy is uh, christian horn is like what's that he's really kind of flipping out (laughs) like calmly he is a very he's a stoic man he's not flipping out like uh, marty and walking distance in every way possible he is keeping his cards you know close to a chest or whatever but you can kind of see it in his eyes like what is happening you know really really trying to assess and and i uh i I think you know we might as well talk about it now right here but but edward platt you know the chief from get smart um when he you know after the uh the examination he said no he's incredibly rational he's in you know he he is you know in command of his faculties um, you know, whatever is going on with him, he believes it and he can he has better recall of his, you know, I think, as he put it, his imaginary life than we have, you know, of our real ones. So I think he did play it as, you know, in a uh, very, very rational and probably a very realistic manner that if, you know, a real person was put into this completely unfamiliar scenario, then you would probably just take a beat and look around and try to assess what your surroundings were you know before um you know going uh you know going nuts over over it and i think i think that really really showed with cliff robertson's acting i am wondering though if we had someone just suddenly walk in from 1920 would we think they were because of changing ways of social thought would we think they were rational well, I th- I think if, you know, if they were dressed, um, you know, in, in that way, which, you know, whatever fashions come and go, you know, I mean, swing dance was a thing a few years ago, uh, a couple of decades ago anyway, made a, a minor comeback. Um, so somebody comes in in a zoot suit or, you know, whatever they wore, it'd probably raise an eyebrow. Um, but if they were asking about things like, um, you know, what kind of cars are these or what's what's that device you're using and um what's that thing you're talking on and uh i think it would i think it would be just as shocking um to somebody from 1920 to say 2023 but it's i think without electricity without power without cars um without roads um without those you know power lines and the the uh you know the 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 guides that hold the lines um i think I tend to feel like it would be a bigger shock for Christian Horn going forward that period of time than it would be somebody going forward for the last hundred years. I just, I don't know, but I feel like that's a bigger gap in history. Of course, then if he was saying going from 1760 to 1860, that would probably not, except for the fact that he's in the desert, that might be weird, but (laughs) yeah. Other, yeah, yeah no. I feel like technology-wise, there wouldn't be too big a leap there. What, what do you get? Um, clocks you can put on sailing ships, better sailing ships. I mean, yeah, railroads. That would have thrown people. I was going to say railroad would be the big one. Like if he if he saw a locomotive uh, there out in the desert, that would be a that would be a big big one. Um, 
Hey, can you, I'm just looking at your notes. Can you talk to me a little bit about divining rods? Um, because the guy goes, Hey, it was, uh, Gomez Adams, AKA John Aston's character that said, Hey, what are you going to do? Find water. You're going to use a divining rod. And, uh, I think that's worked for people for, you know, time yeah. immemorial in the UK, especially in the countryside, there's like, I think there's like divining societies and things. The idea being, um, you have this, I, I guess you're, I mean, I've never tried divining myself, but <laughs> you're walking around with a metal rod and it's when you're near water, like you're, I, I, again, it's, it's pseudoscience or mysticism, you know, somewhere in there. But I think the idea is maybe like the water and you kind of attracted to it and you're kind of like pointing it down or something like that. I've heard people talk about ley lines and divining rods. So, um, yeah, from I'm what a- I understand, it's, it's like a Y shaped, um, you know, stick normally is what they would use. Um, but I guess it could be made out of metal and that would bring that mag- magnetism in there also. And you kind of hold on to the two, you know, fork ends, you know, with the other part pointing up. And then when you come across water, it'll swing down and sort of, you know, point to the ground is, is the idea of what I remember reading about it a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the fact is if it works, it works. Right. So yeah. <laughs> If you're finding water, you you did a you did a good job, but um, <laughs> <laughs> exactly, Gomez. Who cares as long as I find it? <laughs> Granted, I, I guess if you're in the middle of you know Death Valley or Owens Valley, you're probably it's it's like being in the middle of the Pacific and looking for land, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. How are you gonna like, find it in the English countryside? There's a fair chance within a five minute walk you'll hit a nice source of water <laughs> that's, well, that's not the case here that is you're right that is not the case here and just because something works doesn't mean it's uh scientific or repeatable or you know based based in science um, and maybe it needs to work in a place that has water because <laughs> well, the, the, the divining rod is not i don't think anyone's claiming it's making water it's just you know <laughs> right. finding it right so yeah, yeah exactly exactly right just just finding it um that's uh that's funny so the I, the first thing i was thinking when that truck was coming at him um was it's in the other lane man what you jump out of the road for but then i uh i realized that you know it was probably he was probably taken back taken aback a little bit by the uh by the truck coming at him well yeah you have that deer in the headlights moment right yeah. So um, I, I, I'm thinking of my similar situation. Oh, yeah. A few years ago, a typhoon knocked out the trains. So I couldn't okay. take the last two stops. So every time I went to work or came home, I, I'd have to walk the like four miles or so. Um, so to make it shorter, since there's no trains, I, I started using the train track. But uh, yeah, the night before oh. they started running again, there was a train and, and I had to excited, excitingly jump out of the way into a ditch. That was fun. I mean, I'm not being sarcastic. That was fun. <laughs> well, okay. Well, it's a good thing you didn't have a, uh, you know, a rifle from, you know, I guess, I guess they said it was one year old. So I guess that rifle is probably from 1846. Uh, you didn't have one of those, you know, carrying across your. Yeah. Uh, that you that you would have shot yourself in the arm. <laughs> also, I knew they might be testing trains that night, and I and it's very straight. Oh, okay. So I, I it wasn't right. like a it wasn't a total surprise. Like yeah, I knew that were, might happen. I was ready for it. So you were you were you were prepared. That's probably why I was fun. There's no bridges or anything to speak of, so I didn't have you know if there were bridges, I wouldn't have done that because yeah, <laughs> yeah. But um, I, I, something image wise, uh, especially coming from the old west vibe to seeing the power lines and things are you familiar with i, I put it in my notes that the uh, film kliana scotsy i saw that you were going to bring that up and i and i went to take a peek at it and i think i went as far as googling the name but i i was it was so like outside of anything i was familiar with i just thought i would let you explain it to me okay and, and it, everybody else yeah it, it, it's directed <laughs> by um a former or maybe current, I don't remember, Catholic monk. So it's a very meditative piece. Um, it's it's technically a documentary, but there's no characters. There's no talking. Uh, it's just a score by Philip Glass. Um, one, mm-hmm. I'd say one of his better ones. Uh, but it's it's the uh, Hopi word meaning life out of balance. So the movie starts by showing like cave paintings and stark shots of the American West and rivers, you know, time-lapse photography, really amazing photography. Mm-hmm. And then as the movie goes, you start to see Western civilization come in. So they'll have like 
shots of these power towers, you know, where like, and that's where it's a similar shot in this uh, episode of Twilight Zone, where they do seem like monsters invading the landscape. Right. And, and as the movie goes on, it starts to show more of like New York City. This is where you see the first, um, you know, uh, not first time they did this, but really famous shots of, you know, like time-lapse city movement, subways. Uh-huh. The idea being like all these machines and stuff like are encroaching on us and then right. you know the, then of course moving and start showing like the military and stuff so it's 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 bonk you could say it's bonk bonk on the head but it's kind of not because there's no words dialogue or anything like that so <laughs> yeah so you you take from it whatever you uh whatever you brought with you kind of yeah and um it's it's got a couple sequels there's a palascotzi which looks at developing nations and then 20 years later there's one called a i don't remember now now Kotsi. I can't remember mm-hmm. quite what it was. Um, Movie-wise, it was probably the least of the three, but it had the best score. Still Philip Glass with, with Yo-Yo Ma playing solo. So it was the, the score for <laughs> the, that was just amazing. But, That's uh, awesome. So a- anyway, talent. going from, I mean, I guess 1860s um, settlers are not necessarily like prehistoric or anything, but I feel like we are kind of seeing a similar jump in technology and having to see Christian's reaction to it. Whereas in Koyanskatsi, you're supposed to delve in nature for a while and then respond to all of this technology. Uh, right. As the movie yeah, and, and just just imagine if he, uh, you know, if across the ridge was, um, you know, Phoenix. They mentioned Phoenix not being too far away. I mean, that would have been that would have blown him, um, you know, probably blown him clear out of the water. But, yeah. you know, just just the sort of that, you know, the power lines, the pavement, the truck, that that very kind of simple cafe, um, you know, was enough. And, you know, what do you need? You know, he needed to find out where there was water, which he did uh, came right out of the tap at the cafe. Um, but also there was a there was a natural spring that he could go back and find um, found out where there's some food that he could get to feed the feed the group. And he got medicine for his son. He so, didn't even know he'd need penicillin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what he got was exactly what what he uh, needed. Now, let me ask you this because I don't know the answer to this: is is penicillin used to treat pneumonia? Would be antibacterial. So, but they're not entirely sure what's wrong with their boy. They don't really have like a proper doctor. Yeah, but I so, figured the chief would probably know. I was yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe i was just kind of thinking like because they they when he looks in the encyclopedia it turns out like his son pioneers this kind of medicine right right exactly so we have like the maybe that's why the universe is doing this to straighten out the uh paradox <laughs> i you know i think the universe is well i mean the universe is doing this to i mean it's kind of weird i mean it's definitely a chicken or the egg and paradox thing but um you know this is a kiddo who grows up to do great things and you know i think it's the universe making sure that kid gets to grow up to do those great things um i don't know that it's necessarily fixing a a problem you know fixing something that wasn't supposed to happen i think it's just the universe protecting you know christian horn jr to to Although- be a a baby doctor, child oh, now, illness specialist. Yeah. Now, now Christian Horn Senior though knows his son's death date. That's kind of trippy. <laughs> that is kind of trippy. And then you also wonder, like how, like how much pressure is Christian Horn Senior going to put on the young lad going forward? Like, no, you have to go to medical school. You have to be a doctor. You have to go on. You have to do your studies. That's and I think that's a much stronger growth. Than... <laughs> but I want to be a dentist. You're not going to be a dentist. You're going to be a child medicine childhood disease specialist pediatrician there we go sorry <laughs> someone's yelling that at the podcast at the moment just call it what it is captain mike God. <laughs> but, uh too funny oh coffee and donuts only 20 cents that's awesome so i was wondering if that was good or bad like i saw that apple pie 15 cent thing over the jukebox and i was like i wonder if he's going to be like and the prices in here are are out of control 15 cents for a slice of pie i could buy a whole bakery for that where i came from oh yeah i'm thinking about in the wrong direction aren't i so (laughs) yeah i mean it sounds great to us i I don't know so how much would you know i mean he's probably used to 
you know, a slice of pie being a, being a penny or two, maybe back in 1847, as you put it. Yeah, you paying greenbacks then, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I guess. Just, you know, just thump your gold up on the table. I need an apple pie, a room, a bottle of whiskey. Well, the way funk. money works then is kind of um, confusing to us, you know, because we're on like, like fiat or all that, and we assume that's how things are. Um, getting Just one more note on that cattle book I was reading. One of the reasons yeah. Texas did all of this completely back-breaking work to move all these cows and become rich off of it for a while, at least, is because all of your savings in Confederate money were worthless. So everybody yeah. was suddenly, you know, like broke. Right. So if you're rich, you're, you know, get back to what uh, Tara Scarlett O'Hara, that's her problem, right? Right. <laughs> so Texas's solution was we're going to do this backbreaking work. There's some, you know, like just like Firefly, right? You get the old rebels to come out and do this hard work because they have nothing yeah. else to do. So, yeah. That's, Again, this that's is a little, little different here as they're, they seem to be immigrants, Im, you know, immigrating further from Ohio out west. But yeah, um, and you know, one of the things is he was as uh, as Chris was trying to assess the current situation. You know, he asked, "Well, what about what about Indians?" And uh, you know, Joe and and his wife both look at each other and go, "Oh, they're not much of a problem anymore." You know, wink, wink, nod. And I was just like, oh, guys, come on. Yeah. Sorry, I, I should. I was assuming a straight 100 year disconnect. Um, yeah. But I should note it's I, I've been saying 18680s, I think. But whatever. 1847 is the date that right. Christian is coming from. So it's actually these pioneers are quite pioneering. That's pretty early for that. They journey. are. This is this is pre uh, National Railroad. This is pre Civil War. This is this is early, man. It really is. Oh, good point. Yeah, I I was talking about the fallout of the Civil War, starting the uh, the whole cattle thing. But yeah, this way predates that. So, forty mm-hmm. uh, nine is the gold rush, the first one, right? So, yeah, yeah the, I mean, yeah, it's, it's kind of they are making this journey like pretty much uh, one of the early ones. Yeah, okay, which makes it more precarious, I suppose. Which is maybe why he's in you know a tux. <laughs> Well, yeah. I mean, just just leave home and what you got, and you know, make it make it work. I want to read. I want to read um, Cliff Robertson's nine page treatment now and find out why they had to leave Ohio so quick. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe these are the Mormons. Isn't that what happened? That would that would be a good one to know. Um, let's see, eighteen forty seven. So it'd be a little bit too late for. Uh, yeah, it was a little um, after Joseph Smith's uh, adventure, I think. But yeah, yeah, and I was thinking if maybe they were followers of Aaron Burr, maybe something happened there because he he got in with some folks in Ohio, um, also as he was heading heading. Yeah, west. maybe they just kicked out the Irish. I don't know that that was still a thing. I guess in eighteen forty seven. I think that definitely. I think that definitely was. Um, what'd you think of uh, what'd you think of the doctor just go ahead and calling the authorities and saying, "I'm going to call the authorities. They'll know what to do." Well, that you know, the Twilight Zone, the real interesting place to start asking that, because at least on 50s television, of course, you call the authorities Even right. in the 60s. You know, Jack Webb is, you know, pretty hardcore. Right. You got to got to yeah. trust Jack Webb dealing with those damn hippies. Um, <laughs> <laughs> damn dirty hippies. Right. So I guess. That, yeah, I'm sitting here wondering if that's like an iconic statement or just to like, of course, he's going to call the authority statement. Yeah, I, th- I think that was just sort of like a very sort of mainstream uh, thing to say. I mean, you know, the police would get doctors involved, would get maybe, a, uh, you know, a psychiatrist involved, would maybe get uh, electroshock therapists involved and lobotomists involved and those kind of things and, and try to help the guy. But I, I liked, you know, Christian's response was just was just awesome. He was just like authorities. I don't know what they'll do. I need to get back. F the authorities. And I think that was probably the uh, uh, motivation for uh, the NWA song that came out uh, 150 (laughs) years later or so. (laughs) So, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's going out west to get away from the authorities already. So, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's a good point. And, And yeah, the idea of frontier living is just beyond our minds, you know? 
It, it really is. You know, my wife and I watched um, 1883, which is the prequel to Taylor Sheridan's um, Yellowstone uh, television series. And uh, there were folks from Europe and they were trying to get out to Oregon because they were basically given you free land if you if you settled it. And they were trying to start, you know, start new lives for themselves. And they were bringing their blacksmith equipment. They were bringing their furniture building equipment because these folks were, you know, craftsmen and, and blacksmiths and, you know, folks that that had a trade, had a skill and they wanted to continue that out there, um, but they couldn't bring it all with them. And at one point, the the guy leading the leading the the wagon train said, "You're not blacksmiths. You're not craftsmen. You're not carpenters. You're pioneers. And if you don't get used to that idea, you're going to be dead." And I thought that was really eye opening for me, is that just just making the journey in and of itself was um, one against very 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 long odds. And, and number two, there's no room to be, you know, carrying extra stuff across the ridge and through the winter and, you know, through the snow and crossing the, you know, the snake river and things like that. So, um, yeah, it's super hardcore, man. It really, it really, really was. My family came over and settled in New York. They were like, nope, this is it. Good, bad, or good, bad, or indifferent, man. This is where we stay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think we stuck pretty East coast for the most part. <laughs> Well, I haven't, but <laughs> oh yeah, but by the time we left, it was easy. Yeah, exactly. I mean, well, we have such a safety net in modern society, don't we? I mean, I used to go camping a lot as a Boy Scout. If things go wrong, I mean, you might be in the boonies, but you can make it to the Steiner if you, you know, mm -hmm. probably. Yeah. Where in the case of this, the, the yeah, that diner's not going to be there for at least a hundred years. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But uh, I was impressed with how uh, how well um cliff robertson ran from the diner i mean he just took off in a big old sprint top hat tails and mm -hmm. i thought and and they held and he held that sprint for a longer than i thought they would on television um <laughs> i guess you know at, at that time though they could give shots a little more time to breathe you know with you know 28 minutes or so uh 25 minutes or so instead of you know 22 um but i was like he's still running I couldn't run that fast that far <laughs> and then he kept and then he kept going so he was quite a specimen of a man though well i, I when i was 15 i went on a one and a half two week hike through the new mexico mountains and uh yeah i was in good shape at the end of that just you know having to move every yeah. day will put you in pretty good shape he did right. drop his gun though so left the future he people did. a souvenir well and I and I guess the the thing is he was running up the you know running back up to to cross the rim he fell and the gun went one way and the medicine went the other right Something was kind like of the that. idea so he had to I think the way I the way I looked at it was he went for the medicine and took off running instead of he would have to go like go back maybe a step or two for the gun that is choosing um, the good of the one not the good of the many the gun's probably useful for the the, the full crew <laughs> Yeah, but you know, making sure you're you're budding young uh, pediatrician. Yeah, see, I learned a new word. <laughs> uh, pediatrician is able to uh, save many, many uh, children uh, right. from childhood diseases. Uh, well, I, I mean, no one would not make that choice. I think no one would not. That choice seems obvious, but <laughs> it does. Yeah, I, I thought the medicine over the gun was a good was a good good choice, and maybe even a good metaphor. I don't I don't know. I'd have to put some more thought into that. How's he going to explain have... the uh, plastic, the fabricated plastic jar for the the penicillin? Maybe kind of hide, put the pills in, and just kind of hide the jar. I don't know. He did it. He just he just gave the wife the whole thing and said, "Yeah, give, give him two of these. It should save his life." Yeah, uh, but if no I remember right, he handed he handed uh, handed her the the whole the whole bottle, not not just two pills. Uh, hopefully, she's sharp enough to you know dole it out properly. Yeah. Hey, so, I did mean, they, you know? Oh, good. I was just gonna say it's maybe the bottle has the instructions on it. Well, maybe they can't read actually, but. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good point. Um, well, he did read. The, he he was able to read the calendar. Oh, he read the encyclopedia. Um, yeah, he read the encyclopedia. Okay, he can um, read then. So it might have had two, you know, take two, whatever per day until until gone. Um, did you? You'd mentioned in previous recordings that I've done with you that, um, you know, sometimes they use stock music 
and sometimes they they create new scoring for the episode. Was this was that Western music for this? Do you do you know if it was stock or I, or created? I think. Um, sorry, I, I actually have to look that up. I think this does have a dedicated score, which I just kind of forgot to put in my trivia. I guess. Um, for me though, yeah, I was kind of like, oh, it's it's Western music, right? So it, it was very kind of generic Western music, but I thought it was very good. Okay, here, here, let's let's see if featured music. I don't know what featured music means. Fred Steiner. I guess that means they probably got it from a Western. Okay. Yeah, it didn't say anything else about the music, but it is listed as featured music, which to me suggests it was not specifically written for. But it is mm -hmm. just a wah, wah, you know, kind of yeah. old timey. Mm -hmm. It, it, it's perfectly functional for sure so yeah yeah it, it definitely was but and upon rewatch i I just noticed that it was it, it was it was very smooth i thought it was very very nicely done yeah, so it's uh, at least from the same place it's not like a library grab or something which a few episodes do have so ah gotcha um I, I, we found well season one you got all those bernard well not all those you have a few real nice bernard herman scores and Mm -hmm. This season, in particular, a few real nice Jerry Goldsmith scores, and a little bit of both in yeah. each season. But yeah, those two seem to be the guys that really like hit a few out of the park for the Twilight Zone. Um, gotcha. I could have looked at Fred Steiner. I'll, I'll do that while I ask my first question, which is, who in this episode goes through the Twilight Zone? Um, oh, 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 I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, I think you know Rod said it right in the uh, right in the the prologue when he said. Uh, uh mr chris horn is going over the top of a rim to look for water and sustenance and in a moment we'll move into the twilight zone so i'm going to go with rod's answer and uh say mr christian horn okay H how about the people he's around like his son gets medicine from the twilight zone he doesn't go there and the future people in this case is the future the twilight zone do they just kind of do they have involvement they've met this man from the past mm. with the doc the doctor wants the authority so because you, know, you can you can flip be. you can probably flip the script without you know too much trouble and start a story with a couple of folks just you know setting up shop in their new diner out on the desert highway and this you know man runs in who's confused in a top hat and tails running out of the desert and you know if you told the story from that perspective um then i think it would be uh then i think it would be joe and and uh and his wife that went into the twilight zone as well so um yeah i think i think that is definitely a possibility because they uh i would say they they met they all met in the twilight zone uh yeah yeah exactly because yeah. they all had weird interactions we strange encounters so um I, I can go with that uh before i get to my second question i i did i, I actually fred steiner since you brought up the music deserves a little more due and i'm just going to read straight from wiki for a moment here uh the first one this caught my eye first steiner wrote the theme music for the rocky and bullwinkle show and perry mason i don't know perry mason off the top of my head but i definitely have rocky and bullwinkle stuck in my head now right and uh he contributed more of the incidental music for TOS than any other composer, as well as scoring or conducting the music for 29 of the original Star Trek's uh, 79 episodes. Composed and orchestrated additional music for Star Trek The Motion Picture, and was an uncredited composer for Return of the Jedi. I get, maybe he was like a punch-up guy. <laughs> I, I, he, he, I, I definitely recognize the name when you said it. And now that you bring that up, it's starting to starting to kind of fill in, you know, fill in the blanks. But um, obviously, Jerry Goldsmith was, you know, very, very well uh, credited with with the theme music for Star Trek, the motion picture, uh, which went on to be next gen. Um, but to, to hear that and as well as the, you know, the the scoring of the original series, which had so much iconic music in it. Uh, just used from scene to scene and used in other things like the cable guy that everybody knows that music. Did he, did he write the fight music is what I need to know. Wow. <laughs> is that Alexander Courage? Is that him? Yeah. 
also known as what the best fight theme ever. Well, I, I guess it competes yeah. with Rocky. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Nah, the Star Trek fight music's more aggressive, so it, it so wins. Good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I guess we'll mostly focus on Christian Horn. About does he deserve his trip into the Twilight Zone? Well, you know, I, I think he does, and I think the reason that he does is because he's he's leading this group, and he's leading his, not only his wife and his family, but um uh the other family also and and there there was another one where he, i guess there was some some tragedy of a uh, a wagon getting burned and uh people either turning back or or they didn't all make it i'll just i'll just say that um but i think it's i think it's his vision and it's his um you know leadership that's going to get him out to california and i think his trip uh into the twilight zone um and his trip uh you know, to find medicine and to kind of see what the future holds. Um, I get, he, I'm going to say he gets to do those things um, deservedly. So because of his vision. And I love the line that he had at the end where, you know, again, uh, John Aston's character asked him what he saw on the other side. Um, and I think he just kind of said something like, yeah, it's not much on the other side. Is there? And uh, Chris said, Oh, there's a whole lot on the other side of that rim highways and many new things, a whole new land. And it was people like us who made it happen. And that is, or people like us that will make it happen. And that to me is, is it gives him that, that vision that you need to be a visionary. Um, so I think his vision and persistence and maybe a little bit of heat stroke uh, is what uh, made him deservedly take that trip into the twilight zone and not only see what the future has in store, but also get to save his son. Yeah, this is definitely one of the uh, the Twilight Zones being nicer to someone. I mean, putting them through their paces for sure. But, uh, you yeah. know, the, the result is a net positive for him. So mm-hmm. and, and he is everyone else is more or less given up in the wagon train. So having sort of a weird mystical, you know. Um, yeah, man, because they've been talking and they've been doing a lot of thinking. And they were thinking they're going to turn back, but uh, not uh, not not Cliff Robertson. He's <laughs> going forward. How much did he did he bring water back for them though? He got some water. He could. He got some water. He got a glass of water, but he found out where the natural <laughs> spring was though too. Ah, uh, yes. That's so the, the thing, I, yes. I guess I guess I don't know how easy it would be to find a natural spring. Like, does a natural spring does that mean it like actually like bubbles up and is visible? Um, and has it been visible for the last 114 years? Uh, these are all questions I don't know the answer to. Uh, but since the boy's name appeared in the encyclopedia, I'm going to assume they found that natural spring mm. and associated probably small game. I don't know. Rabbits. Yeah. Of course, the desert's, desert's going to change less, right? So, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, maybe, definitely maybe, some jackalopes. maybe, yeah, definitely some jackalopes out there. Uh, <laughs> Let's throw this onto the tripometer. Zero being not that trippy. Five being like, whoa, dude. Uh, I yeah, I, I know. And 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 I I was thinking about this at length, and I just, you know, I didn't really find this episode super trippy at all. I mean, there's the time travel thing, and I was thinking, you know, if I wanted to add a point automatically just for just for time travel, but I sort of feel like this was about a two. Like this was probably a fairly well-grounded episode of the twilight zone i mean what they showed of the folks in 1847 seemed realistic and and faithful to a faithful recreation um you know thanks in large part to the you know the script and the direction and the the actors um i feel like what they showed in 1961 was a, a realistic portrayal of you know a roadside diner at that point it was just sort of connecting those two folks and allowing an individual to see what the what the rewards of their struggle would be if they just pressed on. So I didn't find it super trippy. I found it kind of motivating, but I'm going to give it about a two. Okay, I'll I'll go up to a three just because those strains we were talking about, like how he he doesn't take this on like a stereotype time traveler and he makes use out of situation like like that to me just puts this on a slightly different path 
which I, I like to see. And I don't even know if I should call that trippiness or not, or, or just maybe smart writing. But hey, it's your show, man. You can call it whatever you want. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I guess just seeing something a little different when you know you put on fifties or early sixties schlock sci-fi and it's ah, mm-hmm. you know, time travel. They might have like a mechanism for it, but the way everyone acts makes less sense. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, you'll probably need to edit that because I almost gasped when you went, ah! <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was stealing one of my co-hosts' uh, catchphrase. He likes to just randomly yell in episodes sometimes. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, uh, yeah, it it definitely was, uh, yeah, two, two to three somewhere. I think we're in the same range. Um, but if I was going to give it a two and add a point for, for time travel, I think would be, I think it would be right there. Right. So de- definitely a good twilight zone. Um, uh, you know, yeah. it's, it's a case and, where there's trippier ones that, for example, let's say perchance to dream, uh, from the first season, yeah. trippier episode, but this one's better. I think. Yeah. That's what I said. I think this is a very good episode, even though it's not super trippy, but, but that's the lens I like to put these on just for fun. Right. So gotta, and, and also, so I can keep talking about a tripometer. So, <laughs> uh, did we, did we hit all your major points, uh, before we wrap it up? Oh yeah. I, I just, you know, this was a good episode as well acted. I think the, I think it was great that it was out on location. The music I think was, was Ask very, the crew very, if it was great. It was on location. <laughs> <laughs> well, corporate, and then as soon as they wrap, they're like, uh, people like, Hey, do I get to go back to my house in the Hollywood Hills now? It's like, now we're going to stay out here and shoot next week's episode. <laughs> that, yeah. 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 <laughs> but, uh, it, it, but, sorry to, to just, uh, you know, trip up your point, but, <laughs> <laughs> but yes, a, a good one. Um, the crew did their job. Well, let's put it that yeah. way, but I, I, I don't know. I feel like you can kind of feel like if people enjoyed making or something or not, or not most of the time, sometimes there's something very surprising. So, um, I was just, I was just on a weird rabbit hole looking into the, the Brady bunch variety hour. You're familiar with this. I am. Yeah, because I am. I actually remember watching an episode of that. One of the few episodes of that live when I was, I don't know, 10. <laughs> yeah. So what was your oh, I got to ask, what was your impression when you were 10? <laughs> uh, that this is not good and it won't last. <laughs> OK, just checking. But um, the, the funniest thing is um, hearing about Robert Reed because he's a pretty stubborn guy you know plays mike brady for for just for listeners who are not following me but um for the brady bunch and then later ones like he hated george schwartz apparently the the creator and he just was grumpy he wasn't in the last episode of the brady bunch because he thought the script was too stupid you know and they had to drive like you know truckloads of money to get them to the reunions and stuff but he was all in on the variety hour He was like i can't see your dance I'll let you sing or dance. I was like, really? I want to sing and dance. And he was like really into it. <laughs> he was happy to be there. And he wasn't happy to be an idiot. I mean, any other iterations of the Brady Bunch. Uh, oh my gosh. That's so funny. Yeah. Um, finishing up for today. Uh, it, it actually is next week now. So uh, I guess tell us what's up. If you got anything going on in your internet sphere podcast fear any of that sort of thing <laughs> well you know we talked we talked a little bit about jerry goldsmith today and there's a, an upcoming sci-fi five that's going to celebrate the life and career of of jerry goldsmith uh so look forward to that um i just uh got an assignment to cover uh the Minutemen, which was a 2008 disney film about time travel so i'll, I'll write the script for that for sci-fi five and then wednesday nights on the mission log discord we've been doing uh, a rewatch of uh, we're just finishing up season one of the Orville and chatting about the episode as well as Mission Log of the Orville's coverage of that episode live Wednesday nights at eight Eastern in the U.S. five Pacific, um, and we just get together with a few of our patrons and chat about that each Wednesday night. So uh, if you want to talk about the Orville with us, uh, join the Mission Log uh, Patreon at patreon.com slash mission log and uh for as little as a dollar a month you can you know join the conversation there and uh, as we mentioned before we do a bit of twilight zone chatting every other sunday evening which is nine eastern 
It's not so, now, is it? Or is this the week you're off or is this the week you're doing it? This is the off week. We would be doing okay, it now good. if it was an on week. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, actually this time we're recording, this is the time that I do this every other week. So <laughs> um, where is I going with that? Oh, yes. We're also Time Enough Pod on Twitter, Facebook, all of that sort of thing. I think Twitter will still be there next week. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, and and, and yeah, we're at ML underscore the Orville. Um, on Twitter, Mission Log Pod on Facebook, and Roddenberry Podcasts. Um, excuse me, podcasts. Roddenberry.com. All right. Well, yeah, I, I thought I was going to drag you down to the, the ground today after all those high flying episodes, but yeah, you know, Cliff Cliff threw me for a loop because it sounds like he just did a bunch of pilot movies after this. So, <laughs> I, yeah, I think he's you know I think he's a, a great actor. I mean, I really do. I mean, he's Academy Award winner, uh, Emmy Award winner, um, but uh, played Hugh Hefner in the film Star Eighty, which sadly tells the story of Dorothy Stratton um, and her and her death. Uh, Buzz Aldrin, right, Second Man on the Moon, uh, played Shame in Batman. So uh, I guess he he you know wasn't done doing Westerns after uh, after this episode of the Twilight Zone. And uh, what really got me as a former TWA pilot myself, when he played a TWA pilot, uh, that was just uh, outstanding to see. So I'm a, I'm a, actually a, a big Cliff Robertson fan. So I'm glad you asked me to do this episode. Right on. Uh, just real quick. Um, you mentioned star 80 and how I became familiar with that was as a maybe 10 or 12 year old, there's an ep- uh, episode, an issue of the uncanny X-Men where they kind of riff off it. I just knew that. And it was like really confusing for years because I could tell it was wow. based off of something, but I had no idea what it was. Cause like, it was like by that time, 1990 and I, I probably wasn't going to go run back and, and watch star 80 at that point in time. Yeah. So if it was even a, readily available at that point in time, although someone should have told me to watch all that jazz, but whatever. <laughs> yeah. I saw that. <laughs> Bob Fosse did Star 82, right? Am I wrong? I don't know. I think he might have. Okay. (laughs) All right. Anyway, let's go find out what is over that ridge. There's quite a bit over that ridge. Try to chase the mirage beyond you. Know that fate only pushes behind you If you're ever in doubt, turn off your mind You will see that the stream just moves on Events sometimes cheat us unwell These are the times on which we dwell And if you can't abide, turn off your mind You will see that the stars just shine on Reap 